patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everybody, and welcome to another episode of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host, Sherman Taloski. Thank you all so much for joining me for episode 120. I hope you're excited for the upcoming summer season. If this is the first time you're listening to this show, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to this program if you enjoy our content. Be sure to also check out our email subscription. We're going to be revamping that a bit for the summer to make it a bit easier for our recipients and also uh, some new ways to really engage with uh, any news from the podcast. So uh, be sure to check that out uh, later this semester as well. Uh, we're going to be introducing some new changes, so uh, make sure to subscribe put your email in there, and you'll get notifications about new programs regardless of right when episodes come out. Also, a very big thank you once again, as always, to our Patreon supporters. They really do an amazing job of being the unwavering foundation of the operations of the podcast. So a very, very sincere thank you to all of the Patreon supporters out there. Thank you all so much for your help. Today's guest is Miss Jenny Taylor. Jenny is a mother of seven and the gold star widow to Major Brent Taylor, who sadly was killed in action on November 3rd, 2018. She has a Bachelor of Education in Social Science Composite Teaching from Brigham Young University and a Master of Education in Instructional Technology from Utah State University. She is a civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army for the state of Utah, and an active volunteer and leader within the local parent-teacher associations and school community councils for her children's schools. She is a motivational public speaker, and she's the founder and director of the Major Brent Taylor Foundation, a nonprofit organization that seeks to ignite patriotism through service. A truly engaging conversation. I hope you will uh, appreciate so much of what as she has done for her community, and I know that this is going to be a very fitting episode as we reflect on a, yet another Memorial Day uh, later this month. So I hope you all enjoy the interview. All right, everyone. Well, I am very, very happy to have Jenny Taylor on to our podcast. Jenny, thank you so much for taking your time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. Hey, thank you for inviting me and letting me be a part of this. This is such an important, I love what you're doing. I love the platform. I love the topic. So this is going to be great. Thank you. Well, this month is a, a very, very unique month because in the United States, we celebrate and we honor our veterans uh, on Memorial Day. And uh, this episode, I think, is going to be very, very important for really the conversation about what Memorial Day means to Americans and uh, in particular to you, Jenny. And I think your your story and uh, what your family has done, I think, is is truly an inspirational uh, story. And 
Um, I really am just so grateful that you're able to take some time uh, to speak with us today. And really, when we think about uh, Memorial Day, we think about a lot of things. Uh, but uh, I want to first start with um, about your husband, Major Brent Taylor, and uh, really how he entered public service because he's got a very unique story. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your husband, Major Brent Taylor, and maybe a little bit about how you also got involved in public service as well. Yeah, well, I think mostly I got involved with public service by, you know, maybe in our childhood, my husband and I, before we ever met each other, we both loved this country. And you and I both know there's so many different ways to serve and, and to be a patriot and to love and honor your country. And I will admit, I never thought I'd be part of the military. In fact, it's not that I thought I would not. It's just that I never even thought of it. I loved this country from a young age. I always felt patriotic and grew up in a time with the um, Persian Gulf War happened when I was in elementary. And I remember just kind of following that story. And my husband, on the other hand, you know, long before I ever knew him, all he ever wanted to do was grow up and be a soldier. He just wanted to join the military, came from a very patriotic home, very patriotic upbringing. And so after the terrorist attacks of 9-11, he and I still did not yet know each other in 2001, but it was obviously a turning point for our entire generation. And it was 2001, then into 2002. Brent and I met in January of 2003. So still pretty fresh with all of that happening. In fact, the war in Iraq began while we were dating. And so we we jumped in with both feet. He was excited to be a soldier. He enlisted right before we got married and went to boot camp right after. And so that's one round of public service is that military service. And then he got involved in politics when we were expecting our third baby. So here we were, we're fairly young in our married life together. And he'd been gone to basic and advanced individual training at the beginning for really almost the first year of our marriage. Then he got home, home for a couple of years, gone on two deployments right in a row, came back home. We had you know our first two babies in there. And then now we're expecting our third when he first ran for city office. And you know, at a time that you could have just said, God, you got enough going on. <laughs> like we're young. He's still kind of starting a career. We had both graduated. Um, he had his bachelor's, but was working on his master's and we've got two babies and another one on the way. Like that's hardly the time to say I need a side hobby or what, but it really was, um, I, I think it was meant to be. I think it's what we were both born to do. I think he was very good at it. He did have a political science background, which gave him kind of the academic side of government and leadership. He ended up getting that master's in public administration. So he had kind of that training, but then he also had training, you know, training in the military, training in the real world, training in a war zone. And I know it was actually his military service that led him to feeling, you know, kind of uniquely qualified to serve in a political position that he had a unique perspective of having left this country, seen how other countries work, not just in a textbook, but firsthand, seen the price of freedom and the cost of war. You know, he was no stranger to that. And so he served for four years on the city council before he ran for mayor and did another four years. So in the meantime, um, I mentioned I had finished school. I graduated with my bachelor's and my master's, both in education. But I, I chose to stay home and be with my kids. And I was fortunate that Brent's Brent's job provided an opportunity financially for me to do that. And 
one by one, those kids came into our home. And like I said, we got married and then he left with military. Then he came home. We had a couple of kids. He left with the military. He came home. We had a couple of kids. He left, you know, it's kind of that rhythm. And before you knew it, he was running for his second term as mayor when we were expecting our seventh baby. And at that point he had completed three deployments. And so public service really has been our entire path together, whether it was military service or city council or mayor or taking the kids to the soup kitchen to help feed people experiencing hopelessness or, you know, volunteering at our church or helping a neighbor with a flooded basement. It, it just has always been such a fulfilling part of our lives. And I think because both Brent and I have lived outside of this country, I mentioned his military deployments, um, I spent one summer in Europe during college, and each of us served a foreign mission for our church where he was in Brazil and I was in Chile. And having left this country really gave us just that eye-opening appreciation of how good we've got it here. Um, you're, You're almost eager to run and find someone to serve when you are overwhelmed with how blessed you are. And that's not to say life has been perfect or that we are by any means, but we recognize we've we've been given a lot in this country and in this generation. And it just has always felt like we had a debt to pay society, a a debt to pay our founding fathers who laid the groundwork for us for hundreds of years before we were born. In fact, I remember one time we were in a church service with some neighbors and an older gentleman at, at that church service had served in the Korean War. And my husband got emotional. It makes me emotional thinking of it. My husband got emotional when he talked to this gentleman about that Korean War that we so often call the Forgotten War. And he said, I'm so sorry I wasn't there to help you. And that's always really stuck with me because Brent wasn't alive for like 20 more years. And yet something in his soul felt a duty, an obligation, and an honor to serve in this great American story. So that's something that now my kids and I are are trying to continue. I feel like the details of our family service have changed fairly drastically, and yet the heart of it has always been the same. We feel we've been given an incredible life and opportunity and circumstances and, and far beyond what we merit. And with those feelings of gratitude come a desire to give back wherever we can. That's an amazing story that you shared. And I've mentioned earlier about how uh, you and your family have really gone into this this heart of public service. You mentioned the Persian Gulf War. Uh, I've went to the Bush School of Government Public Service, just named after George H.W. Bush, who was president at that time. And I, all I can say was, uh, I think it would have been an amazing, I think it would have been an amazing experience to be witnessing those events that were happening then and seeing how many people have signed up, you know, to, to be involved in public service. And no doubt, I think you and, and your husband have really exemplified that uh, for all these years. 
And uh, I, 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 I liked the story that you shared about, uh, about with all the, the things that were happening in your li- li- lives, that he was going to go back into academia to get his master's degree, uh, some, something that is not often the advice that's shared by, by schools, but, <laughs> but, but it's, I think it's evidence of like that drive. So throughout all yeah. this time, what were some of the biggest challenges that you, you encountered despite you know, that drive of public service? How did you cope with these these different, these different tracks that you were running through all the, all these years. I, I joke. So we have, um, we have obviously lots of children. We have seven. Our fourth little baby is just as hyperactive as they come. And he bounces from thing to thing, to thing, to thing, to thing. And he has, I mean, he was born that way. Like there's no question. The kid is just super energetic and active. And everybody always gives them a hard time. And I think it was a couple of years ago that I had to kind of laugh and take a step back and realize, oh my goodness, me and my husband are just like that. (laughs) We're not a a little boy bouncing from seat to seat in the classroom, but um, I feel like God has blessed us both with an energy and an inability to hold still very well. We we do better when we're up and working and moving and serving and, and involved, but you know, challenges we face, that's a really, I appreciate that question because it's hard. You know, it's easy to come on a podcast like this and talk about America and I love it and war. We've got to fight for freedom and the principles and the founding fathers. And all of that's really true. I I genuinely mean that. And it's hard. You know, one of the challenges we faced was the fact that we spent a really good chunk of our married life not living in the same house. We got married in his newlyweds. He left for almost a year. That's hard. That's hard to get to know each other and strengthen that that marital relationship. It's hard to be separated from each other. Um, that continued different deployments or assignments or just long hours. You know, you take someone who's a National Guardsman. My husband's in the National Guard, which means technically military is just a side gig. He also had a full-time job and then he got involved in politics and then he's going to school and I'm helping at the PTA or volunteering at the church or, you know, we've, we've always had kind of that need to be careful, not to overcommit and yet not to make excuses why we can't help. And that was always a challenge. One of the challenges, to be honest, is other people's opinions. And I know that at my age, that shouldn't matter. You know, we, we, we think that's a thing that little kids deal with or teenagers worry about, but it would be challenging because each time an opportunity for, let's say, military service would arise, uh, we'd, we'd get a lot of feedback. We'd, we'd get a lot of people saying, well, why are you leaving? Do you have to go? Are you sure you need to leave your wife and kids for you know Iraq or Afghanistan? And then sometimes the politics of war get involved and or let's say he's running for office. Some people thought he was too ambitious and too vain and, and should just focus on his family or focus on his career and not feel like he's got to run so many directions. You kind of get that, um, you know, that feedback. And to be honest, every time we said we were going to have another baby, there was feedback to that too. <laughs> and I don't know why as, as humans, we are just so nosy. You know, if a couple chooses to have children or doesn't choose to have children or isn't able to have children or doesn't, you know, whatever the circumstance is, we always want to know when are you having another baby and why are you having another baby? So one of the biggest challenges during the 15 years that Brent and I were married and both alive, um, to be honest, it was me being able to be confident in the decisions we made 
regardless of what somebody else thought. And again, I, I, I'm almost embarrassed to admit that because that shouldn't have been a concern in, in adulthood. I got a master's degree. My husband actually ended up with a doctorate degree. We're both people of faith where we really felt guided by God. We knew the decisions we made were the right decisions for us and our family. And sometimes it was hard to get that backlash because of things happening in the news, because of politics, because of ambition or personal opinion or, or just conflict. And so sometimes the biggest challenge was holding fast to what we knew to be right, what I knew to be right, even when it wasn't easy or it wasn't popular or not everyone agreed. You know, sometimes even our own families would say, oh, you're having another baby or you're leaving again or you're running for, you know, whatever the thing. So what's ironic in the past few years since my husband was killed, I think I've become more solid in who I am and the path that we've taken. And it's not that other people's opinions don't matter to me still. I still sometimes, you know, my feelings get hurt or I worry that someone won't like this or that. And, and that's just human nature. But I think I've gotten to a really solid place with me and my faith and, and God, to be honest, to say this is our path. I don't know that I ever would have thought our path would end up where it has. And to be honest, I'm kind of glad I didn't know 20 years ago what would happen you know, the next 20 years, I think <laughs> sometimes we wish we had a crystal ball, but that just sounds exhausting. Um, I've, I've gotten to the point now where I really do know what I know. I would even say, I don't even just believe it. I know, I know freedom is worth fighting for. I know hope and liberty and justice and democracy. I know they're worth fighting for. I know they're worth dying for. And that is a sentence that's hard to articulate when someone I love so much has died for them. And yet it's the truth in my soul that reminds me what I know and what Brent knew and what motivated him. You know, I know it wasn't vain ambition sending him into public office or war. I know it was his, his soul, his character, his, like I said, his duty to the Korean war veterans that were born decades before him or George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, he felt a kinship to the men and women of this country from generations past. And so challenges, you know, of, of kind of the psyche, the psychological challenges. And then there's just the challenges of difficulty. Like he went to war four times. He was gone a lot. He lived a very demanding schedule between his job and politics and um, military and in the meantime, we're giving birth to children and I'm raising them and I'm changing diapers and I'm trying to carpool and just the sheer exhaustion. And then in the middle of all of that, several years ago, we, we had our fourth child. So literally right in the middle, uh, we lost Brent's youngest brother to suicide completely unexpectedly. None of us thought coming. He was only 15, almost 16. And that threw everyone's world upside down. It threw everything into question. It was right before my husband's third deployment, and he almost didn't go. It's like, I've got to stay and be here for my family and my parents. And, and that was a hard decision. I almost didn't want to have any more kids after that. I was terrified. How do I raise children in such a broken world? And so that always stands out as one of the defining character-building challenges of our married life because it broke both of us in different ways and in shared ways. And yet we learned that life continues and you can't live in fear 
and you you can't be held captive by the past and you've got to try to pave a way for a beautiful future and looking at those little children of ours and knowing this is the world they're growing up in. It's a dangerous world. It's a frightening place to be. And yet we're going to put one foot forward at a time and keep going. And so that became a catalyst to almost a renewed conviction. Losing him reminded me of having lost my father. My father died by suicide when I was a child. And processing suicide in childhood versus adulthood was a really full circle experience for me. It was a very different experience. I feel like as an adult, I could process things a little bit better. Um, you know, in the 90s, we didn't talk about suicide nearly as much as we do now. We still have a ways to go, but we're getting better. And so some of those challenges were physical. Some of them were mental. Some of them were just the emotional toll of, I'm not <laughs> sure I can do this another day. But always at the root of that was just a keen, keen knowledge that we're making the choices we feel are the best for our family. And even if other people don't like it and I have to not worry about their opinions, we know that we're, we're taking that step forward one at a time. So it's, it's not been easy. Military life is not easy. Anyone listening that's ever been through a deployment or even guard duty weekend, you know, one weekend a month, my husband was just gone. And for a year and a half, he was living at home, but assigned by the military to travel two or three weeks of the month. Like that's a lot of coming and going. And in many ways, the coming and going was harder than when he was just gone, gone for a year at a time in a deployment because you get that rhythm. And then anyone that's ever had children knows that's challenging in and of itself, let alone seven kids and one parent. <laughs> like that's its own level. But no, it's been, it's been beautiful. You know, I could, I could make a laundry list of challenges, but as I make them, I'm aware that they've been opportunities for growth. And to be honest, I feel like it's that laundry list of challenges that maybe best qualifies each of us for whatever it is we're needing to do in, in our lives. And we can either be weighed down by that laundry list of hard things we've each faced or maybe feel empowered. Like, oh my goodness, we've been through a lot. It's been hard. Sometimes we're dragging ourselves or carrying each other and yet we're still here. And that, that becomes almost empowering that if we've made it through that, surely we can make it through something more. And, and honestly, my brother-in-law's death, Brent's little brother's death, really set the stage for me to have the faith I needed to survive Brent's death because that suicide death had been so devastating and so tragic. And I really had to work through my own core beliefs so much and to have the faith that God would carry me through whatever happens in life to the point that when Brent died, I already had that conviction that I wasn't alone. So that, that faith has been a huge part of it. And just a a faith in God and a faith in this country and a faith in goodness that it, that it matters and we've got to keep going even when it's hard. And as I'm listening, what you've said is just so profound. I mean, the, you mentioned the conviction, you mentioned how the nosiness of, of people, you know, I guess without nosiness, there's no politics really. When you think about sure, it. Sure. or humanity, <laughs> or I don't humanity. know that human beings have ever not been nosy. It is our nature, <laughs> exactly. Um, but you've you've you brought up all these really significant points about the importance of having of believing in oneself and believing what you're doing as a as for for a cause. And I think that is this is a really 
really profound lesson that we, we reflect on Memorial Day is that we think about the people who have put a lot on the line. Uh, the, the final sentence, I'll, I'll never forget this, final sentence of that Declaration of Independence, think about our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor, when we are signing this document away uh, in a in a time when anyone who signed a document like that would be would be basically putting themselves in jeopardy. Oh, absolutely. Committing high treason. Right. Yeah. I want to tie it in now with obviously a day that you will never forget. Your family will never forget. Um, November 3rd, 2018, um, when your husband was serving in uh, Kabul in Afghanistan um, and terrible, just a terrible tragedy happened um, on that day. I know it's a, this is this has been a very t- difficult subject, obviously, especially after after you heard the news. But what can you tell us about the feelings and the thoughts that you had when you heard about the news from the U.S. military on no- from what happened on November third, twenty eighteen? Yeah. So you know, I I think the number one word for what I experienced on November third, two thousand eighteen, was shock. I was told by two army officers in full dress uniform that my husband had been killed in an insider attack outside of Kabul, Afghanistan. And I was in shock. I remember I I didn't even cry at first. I went 100% into just shock's the only word. We'd been married 15 years and he'd been through four deployments. He'd combated terrorism in multiple cities and countries. And I don't know why we hadn't ever had a more serious what if conversation. Um, I'm grateful I didn't worry about the what ifs every day, but shock, even though we probably should have been better prepared. I remember early on in our marriage, very early, right after boot camp, before Brent's first deployment, we were pregnant with our first baby when we, we found out he might be deploying right away. And even though that's all he'd wanted, that's what he'd looked for, that's what he'd trained for, he, he was you know, going into this eyes wide open in the military, it still kind of hit close to home, like, wait a sec, like real, for real, for real, and we're about to have this baby. And now that deployment ended up not happening, which is common in the military, things are on again, off again. But that opportunity for the two of us to sit down together, I think we were up half the night talking, contemplating, weighing the pros and cons, praying about it, feeling like, are we really willing to do this? Because like it sounds good on paper when you enlist and you go to boot camp and you're you know, getting on the uniform and there's a certain excitement to that, even though it's challenging. So that would have been, oh, I don't know, the very end of 2004. And that's really the only time we ever talked about what if and are we willing and do you really mean this? we never really had the conversation like, where do you want to be buried or things, how would I pay the bills or what's the password to this or that phone or account or, you know, some of those little things that some military families are better about having those difficult conversations, but we weren't. So he was killed on a Saturday morning. He was actually on a training exercise with a group of Afghans. He was, he was training, honestly, getting them ready to take over their own security Um, You mentioned it was 2018, so chronologically think back. We withdrew from Afghanistan in 2021, so this is about three years before that, and we'd been there a long time already. 
2018 is a good 17 years into post 9-11 era. And they were trying to train the Afghans so that they could provide themselves their own security and stability. And he was on a training exercise with them and shot in the head by one of them. And I think I went into shock. I also think I went into very hyper awareness mode. Um, the military reported that Brent Taylor is the first sitting politician to have been killed in action since the Civil War. It's kind of unusual for a, a mayor at all to be in the National Guard, let alone to go away to war and be killed. It's kind of unusual for a soldier to have seven kids when he goes to war. You know, not unheard of, but there were certain elements of the headlines that grabbed the attention of America's heartstrings. And I remember being hyper aware to the fact that losing Brent was not just my loss. Our country lost a soldier that day. I've felt that before when a stranger I've never met and never heard of. I remember other military deaths being announced in the news or a police officer that died in the line of duty. I remember how that has felt for me just as a citizen, as a resident, thinking, oh my goodness, they died for me in the bigger picture. And so I remember feeling hyper aware of the fact that this was not just our family's experience, but that there was a very public nature of it, that people were watching and, and grieving with us and mourning with us. And that was a beautiful, a beautiful, but heavy thought, you know, that there's all these people who are also heartbroken. We've got about 20,000 people in our city, 20,000 people just lost their mayor. All my kids that have friends, their friends are all thinking their friend's dad just died. That impacts so many people. And so we went through the motions of notifying everyone and letting the city know. And pretty soon everyone's coming to visit and expressing their sorrow and, and being kind and supporting us. But that first couple of weeks, or really even couple of months, I think shock really is the only word that describes how I felt. In fact, my sister, who kind of became my right arm for quite a while, she's commented that there was about a point, a few months in, maybe five or six months in, when she says, all of a sudden, I kind of came back. She said, you were there, but you weren't there. You were kind of in a daze and in a fog. And she said, all of a sudden, one day, it seemed like Jenny was back. And I don't remember a moment where I felt like I was back. But when I look back, everything's really fuzzy almost as if I'm watching a movie rather than in my own life. I remember being in the processional when they brought my husband's body home and they were transferring it from the airport to the mortuary. And I remember thinking like I've stood on the side of the road for other processionals when I'm waving a flag and teaching my children to pay their respects to a fallen service member. And now I'm in the second vehicle right behind the hearse. It just felt very out of body. It felt like watching a movie or a, um, like a a made-for-TV docudrama. And then all of a sudden, every once in a while, I would remember, I'm the leading lady in this. Like, I'm not watching the movie. I'm living this. So it was a very difficult time, a very overwhelming time, a time of a lot of shock and insecurity. I've been a stay-at-home mom for 15 years by choice. Um, I, I I, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what else to do and how we pay the bills. And 
And I didn't see this coming. And I've got these beautiful seven children that are heartbroken. And my mother-in-law's already buried one son and now she's buried two. And everything was just too, too much. And to be honest, I'm forever grateful to a wonderful community and country that just loved us through it. People who prayed for us or would send letters of sympathy and, and hopeful expressions or people who would show up and drop off a casserole or offer to take the garbage out or clean the kitchen when I was just, I just was so overwhelmed, so in shock. But I will say what I did not experience, I did not experience regret. Heartache, of course, lots and lots of heartache, but not regret. And to be honest, I don't think my husband regrets it either. I know he thought he was coming home. I know he wasn't worried. I, I, I don't know. Maybe we just thought he was invincible or Superman or what. You never think it's going to be you. I know he would have rather come home and be with us for the rest of mortality. But I know for a fact he really thought this country was worth dying for. And that didn't change the day he died. And so we went through a period of a lot of fog and insecurity and ambivalence and just lost shock. But I feel like we came out on the other side with stronger convictions, more determination, deeper patriotism, and a sense of a deeper debt owed to this country and to God and to those who keep us on our feet. So that's kind of how I felt that day and since. Jenny, I want to just say thank you so much for sharing that because I I was just thinking you mentioned that story going back earlier in, in our conversation when when your husband said that he wanted it, would have wanted to help in the Korean War. I think he would have done the same if he was talking to General Washington or uh, General Grant during the Civil War, um, General Pershing for World War One to hear. I think the emotions that you felt and what your family went through, but also to hear from what, how your community responded, that really makes me and I think every single listener listening right now feel a lot of hope for our nation. And I cannot express really in words, you know, just as some guy from from Nevada having a podcast on George Washington. I I can only I can only say so much in words, but I what I can tell you is I'm very eternally grateful that your you and your husband have done all this for your community and you're still doing it. And that's what's amazing is that you have not stopped and I don't think you will ever stop. You will continue. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I guess I'll stop when I feel like I've um, paid back the debt I owe to this beautiful country and that's not going to be anytime soon. So for now we're going to keep digging out that debt and trying to pay it for it just as much as we can. Your foundation, which is probably one of the, one of the most significant legacies I've seen out of someone's service and the service of a family, the major Brent Taylor foundation. And I think for, for you to memorialize his service as well as the service of many others, um, who and many other families, you mentioned how he touched the lives of so many. Imagine that times hundreds of thousands of soldiers will be lost over the, over the course of the last almost 250 years. Uh, what can you tell us about the formation of the Brent Taylor Foundation, its values, and 
what this foundation does to continue Major Taylor's life and the service that he brought to his countrymen and to the nation he loved? Oh, well, thank you. That's a great question. Um, we, we like to say that our mission in the Major Brent Taylor Foundation is to ignite patriotism through service. I either want to honor those who serve or I want to put people to work serving because I know the power of that. There's a great quote my husband shared shortly before he deployed. He kind of made a, a video to share, honestly, on Facebook with the city that it was announcing his deployment. And at the very end, he said, service is what leadership is all about. And that's kind of been our, our motto, to be honest. We want to lead the way to a hopeful, beautiful future. Just like you said, when horrible tragedies happen, one of the most beautiful byproducts is the way humanity comes together. You see it when a hurricane happens or tornado, earthquake, natural disaster, some, some type of thing. When a town is hit by tragedy, people kind of set their differences aside for a while and come together. And so we try to get people serving together because we think that will help them build relationships with each other. I love nothing more than bringing people from different walks of life together. And I feel like Brent really was the perfect uh, role model for that. He was in politics and military. He was from humble beginnings and a small business owner. We try to get young with old, male with female, different races, backgrounds, religions, and we're all American. And we're all, even, even beyond America, we're all looking for a chance to live happily ever after and pursue our goals and our dreams. So if you want to know how the foundation got started, it's kind of a funny story because I never set out to start a foundation. Honestly, I was a widow with seven kids just trying to keep my head above water, like I said. Brent died in November and his birthday is in July. So it was, you know, what's that, eight or nine months later. And it was going to be his 40th birthday, which is kind of a cool birthday. And usually you do something fun because you're 40 and over the hill or whatever. And, and I had been planning that birthday party for quite a while in my head before he died. And when he died, the thought of that birthday just weighed on me. Like, I just, why is the calendar so dumb after someone dies? It's like those dates just pound on your heart because guess what? That birthday comes back every year, even with him gone. And so we'd started trying to find a way to make that not an awful day, looking for ways we could maybe spin it to something positive and forward thinking. We came up with an idea to raise some money for a scholarship in his name, a little picnic at the park bring people together so I didn't just stay home and cry in my bedroom that entire day. And as we were planning this picnic at the park for his 40th birthday, we decided we wanted to try to raise $40,000, which is pretty ambitious for a stay-at-home mom. And um, like, we're going to raise $40,000 for his 40th birthday. And I had a friend who's much more business savvy than I. She said, hey, Jenny, you know, businesses really like to donate to good causes and they really like to donate to good causes that have charitable status with the IRS because it makes those, those donations more friendly for your taxes, right? So as naive as I was, I said, okay, we applied for 501c3 status with the IRS and, and set out to form a formal foundation. And that's really where it began was that scholarship drive. But we got the 40000 We surpassed that. We now have a 9-11 commemorative event that we host each year. We take flags to military members. 
to, to their funerals, certainly, but also to their deployments or their homecomings. Uh, just this morning, some friends and I were setting up flags in a neighborhood for an airman who's just retiring. Uh, we work hard to honor other fallen families of uh, military, family members of fallen military members. Let me say that right. But above all, like I said, we seek to ignite patriotism through service. There's a lot of rhetoric in our country that's not very proud to be American or maybe not proud of our past or proud of our, our history. And there's a lot of, I think, confusion about the imperfections of this country. Because I think it would be our founding father's first statement. We know we're not perfect. We never said we were perfect. Good heavens. But they did set out to form a more perfect union. And I think they hoped that each generation would be more perfect in that union. And we can only become more perfect in a union as we become united in that union. And right now, my goodness, it just feels like we're divided left and right. Like if you like Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi, you're on totally different teams, let alone politics, sports teams. We are just divided. But what if we remembered that we have so much more that unites us than divides us? And you can prefer a political candidate over another or a different restaurant or sports team. That's fine. We can vehemently disagree over certain topics and still be friends and still be respectful. That's what makes America so awesome is we don't have to think alike, but we can let each other think and we get to think and we get to speak what we think and how beautiful that is. So we really try in our foundation to find that itty bitty pilot light of patriotism inside each person. I believe it's there. I believe as people step back and, and stop being maybe so hypercritical of previous generations, I think as we step back and try to put things into a perspective of progress over time, of gratitude for the blessings that we have in this country, I think as we do that and let down some of our guard, let down some of our walls, I think we'll realize that we are each a little patriot inside. There's a, there's a patriot in each of us, and I just want it to ignite. And so when we participate in some of our service projects or our military ceremonies, or we have a giant flag that's 75 by 150 feet, and we hang it in a canyon every fall, it ignites something. And when we bring people from all walks of life together and say, get to work, and we're doing service together, that ignites something. And then my favorite part, after we try to ignite that patriotism through service, is to then get out of the way and see the great things people do. You know, I'm a mom. Obviously, I'm a school teacher at heart. So for me, I look to this rising generation, your generation and even younger. You're our future. You're the ones that are either going to carry that banner forward or torch it to the ground and I feel like it's my generation's responsibility to help you see how beautiful our imperfect union is and how much more perfect we are than we were 250 years ago or even 25 and how much more perfect I hope we are when my grandkids are the ones leading this country. But we have to be united. And I really do feel like the best way for people to come together is to just roll up their sleeves and get to work. If you've ever been in a crisis mode or a service project with people, that's when you come to develop some of those bonds. Pointing fingers at each other from across the aisle, you're never really going to bond. Roll up your sleeves, get to work, maybe fly a few flags while you're at it, 
And so that's what we've done. And I feel like that's what Brent would be proud of us for doing. To me, he's the epitome of so many of those things. He loved this country. He loved his neighborhood. He loved taking his children to work in the yard and physically work. He knew that it built character. He was an avid reader of history and a studier of these wonderful men and women that started this country and even philosophers from far before that. And he felt a real part of the human experience. And I know that he recognized that if we have any hope of trying to make it work as a country, we're going to have to figure out how to work together. And so that's what we like to do. I want to find that little pilot light of patriotism within, and I want to catch it on big fire. And then I want to watch each person live their American dream their own way. You know, not every patriot wears a uniform. I never have. I consider myself a huge patriot and I haven't ever been in the military. You know, there's patriots in medicine. There's patriots in this classroom, patriots in, of course, patriots in uniform. But you can be a patriot wherever you are, whatever your walk of life is. And I think one of the things we really try to emphasize, in addition to talking about what patriotism is, is what patriotism is not. To me, patriotism is not arrogance. It's not superiority. It's not judgment of everyone else. It's awareness and gratitude that, oh my goodness, we've got it pretty darn good here. And sure, we've got a lot of work on, but wow, you've been anywhere else in the world? Because they've got things to work on too. And so as we strive to really spark that patriotism, I hope people view patriotism as a sense of belonging, being part of the greater whole, a community, a country, a cause, and that there's room in that for all different viewpoints and vantage points, but that as we come together, we really will be better off. If I help you, I'm actually better off. If I learn about your diversity and your background and your experience, if I'm open to it, that will actually help me. And so I wouldn't say go do a bunch of service to be selfish, but let's be honest, service blesses the self a lot. And I think maybe sometimes that's what America seems to forget. And so we try to provide a lot of service opportunities, a lot of connection, and a lot of discussion about how we're going to hold hands and work together to become a more perfect union. And we're going to pass it off to our kids and our grandkids a little bit better than we found it. And we're going to teach them to make sure they do that before they hand it off to their kids and their grandkids too. That's such a beautiful description of what you all do. And I, I you mentioned a lot of flags, right? Uh, I might have to ask you, might have to ask you where I can get one of those 75 by a hundred flags guys. I could be the talk of July 4th. And- oh yeah. I'm telling <laughs> you, I got a great, got a great company right here in Utah called colonial flag. They make a lot of the giant flags that are like on, football fields, you know, Super Bowl Sunday kind of thing, March Madness. They're big. <laughs> like this, this flag is nothing to, to sniff at. So if you need a big flag, I can connect you. Take a few dollars, but we'll get it done. It, it can never be too big. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this is, this is amazing, especially hearing about, you know, the, the, you mentioned, you talked about the meaning of patriotism. Uh, I'll never forget and I remember taking a Latin class. I used to have to take Latin for two years when I was in middle school. And oh my goodness! One of, 
Yes, and uh, now that's a whole different thing. Unfortunately, I couldn't practice yeah. it in in you know Smiths or something. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. but that's a great academic base. Like, wow, kudos, kudos to whoever ran that school. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 you couldn't really believe it until you walk in and then, then you walk out as a kid who has to learn Latin, but yeah, yeah that's like, a, oh. <laughs> it was <just> hard enough. <laughs> like Latin, Latin America. Like, no, yeah, no, we're being Latin, right. Latin, like really old. Yes. And one of the first words that we learned, and this is just part of the textbook, I guess, or of the history of learning about ancient Rome was the word for fatherland, which is patria, which is where we get patri- patriotism and patriot. And yeah. I think Major Taylor really represents what you know that meaning of patriotism. And I think the the service that you provide that you've done for uh, your community of North Ogden, Utah, and for the beautiful state of Utah, which really is a beautiful state, I've driven through through the Wasatch, and it's just amazing drive through I eighty. And uh, even I-15 as well come down through Idaho. Yeah, it's beautiful country for sure. Thank you. Yes. And, and being as a next door neighbor, you know, it's... Uh, we, we, yeah, we're so, we're so close. Yes. <laughs> um, the salt flats. I mean, anyway, I could go on. Uh, we could do a whole episode <laughs> about Utah another time. It's God's country. Yes. Yep, it's beautiful. <laughs> uh, we could talk about how Brigham Young and Joe Smith were blown away by, by the state of Utah. But yeah. um, anyway, I, I want to just emphasize the the value I think that your foundation has brought, especially about the nine 11 project about the, the scholarship. I think what you, your foundation is doing is really sowing a lot of seeds. Um, and so you mentioned, you mentioned all those future generations. I think that's what exactly what you're doing. You're planting the seeds, you're watering them, giving them sunlight. And <laughs> um, I, I want to hear maybe a little bit more about some how how people have reacted to these kinds of initiatives like what are some experiences overall and uh that people have told you about or that you know of uh through the major brent taylor foundation well one of our favorites is this um the 9-11 event specifically where we bring thousands of school kids through this pop-up museum that's photos and videos and kind of a timeline of, of that day and and my favorite is to see my generation or grandparents with their kids or grandkids kind of connecting and looking at those moments and realizing, oh, that's what 9-11 means or that's what happened. And we see, we see people changed. We see people that have, again, kind of that ignition of that spark. My favorite is when I hear people say, oh, I never thought of it that way. I never thought of it that way. I, because we do. We live in a time where it's almost arrogant to say I'm patriotic. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to be arrogant. Good heavens, if anything, it's very humbling to be a patriot. You know, you're aware there's, there's a huge debt to pay there. But I love seeing children's faces light up when they touch a really big flag, you know, carried a parade or something. And it's like their little heart just knows. They know that piece of, that piece of fabric means something. I love watching veterans, particularly older men and women who have served as maybe they, they get a little emotional to see the younger generation acknowledging what they've done, you know, particularly Vietnam, how horrific and, and that forgotten war, Korea, and, and just so many that have paid a price so bravely, but so quietly. And sometimes we maybe give a voice to that. 
and we get to see kind of the eyes wide open, like, oh my goodness, I have no idea. In my opinion, we don't talk enough about war and freedom. Not that I think we need to be graphic and bloody, but we need an awareness of, of what the price of freedom is and what it costs to keep a people free. And so, but I love, I love anytime we have the big flag, we call it the major. That's the one that's 75 by 150 feet. It doesn't matter if it's in a canyon or on a rodeo ground or wherever, you know, in a parade or something. People are always shocked at how big it is. I mean, just shocked. Like, okay, I knew it was big, but I didn't know it was that big. And I just say, oh, if you think our flags are big, you should just see our hearts, you know, and, and hopefully it sparks something in these young people. We've had some really tender moments at funeral services where families of a military member who's just died are just devastated. You know, whether they died in combat or a car accident or by suicide or cancer, it doesn't matter. It's just devastating. And we'll, we'll bring flags to that service and maybe put them around the church or the mortuary or the cemetery grounds. And those are the experiences where nobody really says anything. And instead you just kind of look at each other. And those flags try to say, we're so sorry for your loss. And those flags try to say, we're so thankful for your service. And we've made some wonderful friendships where we've bonded people that were perfect strangers before we got to work together with some kind of flag related something. And now you're like family. We call ourselves the flag family. <laughs> we have a, we have a group, we group called flag family. These friends that we were strangers five years ago, and now we've just really come together. So I, I love the work we're doing. I often stand back in awe and just think, wow, who, who would have thought out of such tragedy, something so beautiful could be born. You know, I, my husband died right before election day. And he was a politician. And in fact, his last public Facebook post was about the importance of voting and not getting stuck in partisan politics. And every November, when election day comes back, I'll have somebody, a few somebodies, will send me a quick text message saying, I remembered your husband and it reminded me to vote. You know, these are people that maybe weren't very politically active before. Maybe they're still not super politically active Maybe they didn't vote a whole lot or think that that mattered. And now they, they'll reach out to me year after year after year, say, hey, thinking of them again, I voted again. So I love to see that. I love to see action. I love to see change of heart. I love to see the light flips, the light switch flip. And then, like I said, then I want to get out of the way and I want to just go let you do you and, and, and what beautiful path you'll take. So it's been wonderful. We've built some great relationships. We've had some great experiences. And I'll tell you what, I have learned far more than I've ever been able to teach anyone else. I feel like I have grown in ways I couldn't have imagined at 39 because I probably thought I knew a whole lot. You know, we always think we know a whole lot in life and we've been through a whole lot. But these past four or five years, I feel like I've been working on a doctorate degree in real life, a doctorate degree in goodness of people, a doctorate degree in hope. And so it's changed me. I hope we've helped change some other people for the better, but I am positive I'm a better person 
than I was. I think a common theme I got from your sharings is education because you're (laughs) (laughs) if it was I'm guilty of that, yes. yes. (laughs) Uh, but I think education on in terms of having people but I think in a not just in an academic context, but I think in terms of a storytelling kind of education. An education that includes you know, patriotism includes American flags, that includes service. And that's what I think really stands out to me a lot. I mean, among the many other things that I think you and your husband have done uh, is, but I think it's that common strand of education that I think I can really see from, from your work and all that. And it's, um, I, I have to be honest with you, when I was reading about about your husband, about how I did not know that he was pursuing a doctorate. I'm, I'm currently pursuing a doctorate degree right now. And well, good for you. Good for you. It, it, uh, it just, it gave me more, just that even a bit more motivation to, to keep going. Yes. Go for it. Go for it. Absolutely. I appreciate that you recognize that I joke, you know, I haven't been in a school classroom as a teacher for a lot of years, but you'll never take the teacher out of my heart. And I really do believe that's our key to tomorrow. And I think the reason I value education so much is I think it saved me. Like I mentioned, my husband died when I was a little girl. Statistically speaking, I should have been a mess. I should have been lost. I should have been involved in this or that. And, you know, there's all kinds of social science studies about young girls whose fathers die in their youth, let alone a a father that died from suicide, you know. And yet I had teachers who believed in me. I had classmates who came from good, solid family backgrounds that I could almost piggyback off of. I had opportunities to be involved in and outside of the classroom and stay out of trouble, to be honest, you know, busy doing different things in junior and high and high school. There wasn't time to go get in trouble. And I look at that path education put me on to where, you know, I got my bachelor's and my master's. I married a man who, who pursued school his entire life, you know, literally he, He actually, this final deployment, he only needed to defend his dissertation. He was almost finished. And so the University of Utah granted us the degree after he died. It was very beautiful of them to do that. So I have a full-fledged doctoral degree in the name of Brent Russell Taylor at my home. And we both really value, and I appreciate that you said education and not necessarily just school, (laughs) because we all know sometimes school's (laughs) not super educational. I mean, I don't mean that, but you know what I mean, where... Education really is a lifelong pursuit with or without a degree in or out of a classroom. Are we looking to really learn to broaden our horizons, to, to educate ourselves about the past so we can better pave the path to the future? So I will forever be a school teacher at heart. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I, I made sure I didn't just say school because I know that learning. Yes. Education. Yes. I love that. <laughs> yeah. But shout out to all the school teachers. Heaven bless you, honestly, for helping to raise our children in a crazy world. I cannot say enough good about the men and women who choose to dedicate themselves to that profession. Just kudos, kudos, kudos. Indeed, indeed. I want to now ask you a question before we get to our kind of our reflection phase about Washington's farewell address. Uh, But it's really going back to uh, the first part of the episode about Memorial Day. And it's a very sentimental holiday, obviously. It's, it means a lot to different people. What does Memorial Day mean to you? 
and what the significance of it is when we reflect on it and when we celebrate the achievements that those who lost their lives for of such a bigger cause, um, you know, what is the significance of that? Yeah. Everything. What does it mean to me? It means everything. Um, you know, what did it mean to me growing up? It meant going to the cemetery of anybody I loved that had died. I went to my dad's grave, my grandpa's grave, my grandma's grave, aunts and uncles, you know, anyone you've ever lost. And America has kind of adopted this beautiful tradition of spending Memorial Day putting flowers on graves of everyone, which is wonderful. I love that. I have nothing against that. I will say, however, that since losing my husband in the line of duty, uh, in a uniform, loving this country, it's helped me revisit the historical roots of this holiday. And Memorial Day is the day of our military men and women who die for us. And I think that applies to all generations, war or peace, regardless of manner of death. If you've had that uniform on your body and given your life to our country, then there's that sacred, sacred day on Memorial Day for us to honor them. And and I hope we take flowers. That's great. Take flowers, take flags, take whatever you need to do to the cemetery. I hope more than anything, we remember them. You know, obviously for my children, my future grandchildren will tell stories about Major Taylor, but other service members too. Like you said, there's hundreds of thousands of men and women who died serving our country. And if people say, oh, well, I'm not related to a fallen service member, I'll go find another one on Google. There's a billion great YouTube stories that are tearjerkers or old letters or civil war or any, any era. Remember them. Tell their story. Uh, you mentioned Washington and his farewell. I jumped straight to Lincoln and the Civil War. And, and Memorial Day was originally known as Decoration Day because the heartbroken women were decorating the graves of so many men. I mean, we cannot even fathom the number that died in that war relative to the number of the entire population. It'd be like us losing like 6 million American members at war, which we didn't. We lost over 7,000 in the global war on terror, and that felt like way too many. But it'd be like losing millions. And so these women, these heartbroken survivors would decorate the graves to honor those who fought that terrible war. And then over time, it became known as Remembrance Day and then Memorial Day. Are we remembering them? Are we memorializing them? Are we telling their stories? And then I love another definition of the word decoration is to add honor to, like a decorated soldier, right? Decorated soldier does not have crepe paper and a party hat on his person. A decorated soldier is a soldier that has been given this honor, this distinguishment, this, this glory, this, you know, this medal or something, a decorated service member. And so I like to think as Memorial Day comes back every year, what am I doing? What am I helping my children to do that adds honor to those who gave their lives for us? Yes, let's remember them and give them honor. But I think the greatest honor they would want would be for us to then do something honorable and not just talk about how great they were as if the burden were theirs alone to bear. But hopefully we're then inspired by their honor. And I say we best honor those who've been willing to give their lives for us by making something of honor out of our own lives. You know, they gave me my life, my chance. It's one thing to 
remember them, I think the next step is to then honor them by living good, honorable lives. So to me, that's what Memorial Day is. Memorial Day is, is hundreds of years of men and women being willing to give up every dream they ever had so that I can pursue mine. And I better get pursuing mine because they literally died so that I can. Very well said. I, I think General Logan, who is very often credited for helping to spearhead the the holiday, I think would would, would not have been able to put it better than better than what you do. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, the great, it's a great day. It's, it's one of the most sacred calendar days to me now. And I'll admit it maybe wasn't growing up, but it definitely has become. Something about the solemnness of walking through a cemetery, yeah. whether it's Arlington Cemetery. I remember sure. going to Arlington uh, just around Memorial Day weekend. and Oh, wow. That's powerful. It's hollowed ground. It is. And you just, there's something, there's something about the the peaceful nature of walking through that and and seeing other people there too, you know, just to see how everyone's congregated around this, obviously the tomb of the unknown soldier. I mean, that's gotta be, you know, that, that in itself, if anyone, if anyone has ever been to Arlington cemetery, seen that ceremony, you know, how powerful that ceremony is. I want to now tie this in with the, the really the themes of, of Washington's farewell address. I think some of the ones are, are quite, quite apparent right like patriotism (laughs) so um we hit hit that one (laughs) yes absolutely um but i think there's there's obviously some other ones and uh obviously washington's farewell address was really that message to the nation probably the first one that's really written to the people i mean the constitution declaration very good point true right but But this one was to the people that's a really good way to put that exactly and and plus not a lot of the people are constitutional law sort of people anyway. So (laughs) I've read the constitution before, but uh, there's something about the address that makes it more personable, that makes it sound like it's, it's something that could be understood by anyone who is an American um, without some kind of prior knowledge about politics or law. And there's really six themes that stand out. I mentioned patriotism is the first one, uh, faith, national unity, um, education, fiscal responsibility, and last is civility. Um, Jenny, out of all these, and I guess collectively, I'll ask you in this sort of question, I usually ask people to kind of pick one or more, kind of reflect on those, but I will think I'll ask in a different way. Uh, one of your TED Talks uh, you, uh, is called basically The Price of Freedom, Is It Worth It? Collectively, when you think about these values, how how important or how valuable is is it worth fighting for the price of freedom i you know i oh my goodness i love that so much the price of freedom is immeasurably high but what if that price were not to be paid when i look at those themes pulled out of washington's farewell address you know you mentioned those six i don't think one could exist without the other and I think in strengthening one, we strengthen the other. I don't know that you can have real patriotism without some kind of faith, uh, you know, a faith in in a, a purpose and a cause. And, and you look at education, well, we can't have anything of civility and patriotism if we don't educate ourselves. And, and we can't be fiscally responsible if we're not unified and educated in our approach. And I think civility might supersede all of those. How can you possibly call yourself a patriot if you're not civil? 
how can you truly hope to learn and become educated if you're a jerk to everybody else around you? You know, we can't have national unity without that civility. So I think that just looking at how we come together as a nation, finding a, a purpose far bigger than ourselves and great, a cause greater than our own is what matters the most. Very well said. Uh, Jenny, I, I want to, before I wrap up, I want to say a sincere thank you to you and your family, uh, you, your husband, and your children, Megan, Lincoln, Alex, Jacob, Ellie, Jonathan, and Caroline. I think they are so essential to who you are as a person and the service that you bring to our to your community in North Ogden, to the state of Utah, and to the nation. And as I think about think about what you're sharing today. And you think about Memorial Day too. I think, I think there's nothing better than being able to to learn from someone like yourself. From my perspective, to learn from someone like yourself about these values, and that you you're a constant reminder of why why people serve and why people care about their homeland, or I guess in in, in Latin patria, their fatherland, or their motherland. And I I hope that when you think about you know your mission and and everything that your you and your organization are doing. Uh, I hope that you'll never forget. There's a lot of people behind you, and they can be in Nevada, they can be in Alabama, they can be wherever. But um, I I know that the sense of community that you got after Major Taylor's passing, uh, that you've you've really taken that energy, you've taken that community, you've really you've really propelled it to, to another, to another level, I think of service. So I just want to say, thank you so much. And thank you. if you have any final words, I'd love to give you some time to, to do that. I, I just appreciate the opportunity so much. I love what you're doing. I love tying it all back into George Washington, the true father of our country, our founding fathers, the history we have. And, and I think just really, you know, you ask, is it worth it to people ask that all the time, metaphorically or rhetorically, is it worth it? I think we've got to make it worth it. It's been worth it, right? It, it, it was worth it in the beginning. Men and women like my husband who have died have proven they thought it was worth it, but they laid down their very lives for it. Is it worth it? Are we worth it? Is freedom worth it? Absolutely. I think that's on each of us to then decide and be determined to make it worth it, to live in such a way that it is worth it to live in such a way that we do bring honor to, to George Washington in everyone's sense. And, you know, to just recognize the great potential this country has. Uh, again, we never claimed perfection. Perfection is an impossible achievement. It's more of a pursuit. And yet we're pursuing progress. We're pursuing growth. We're pursuing that that more perfect union and just that opportunity to come together and get to work together and prove to each other that we're going to make this worth it. It's worth it to them. Let's make it worth it to us, worth it to our children. And anybody who says otherwise, you know, I'd love to just sit down and chat and say, hey, let's let's find a way to make this worth it through all the good times and the bad times, the highs and the lows. This country is a beautiful gift from God. And each of us has a role to play in it, again, in or out of the uniform. So happy Memorial Day to all, a peaceful day of remembrance, a solemn day of, of recognition and honor, but mostly hopefully a day of reflection to say what's 
my part. And whatever your part is, get to work with it. Very well said. I'm going to link the link to your website, Jenny, on the course. Oh, yes. So, so people can Thank find you. ways to read more about the foundation and support it. Yeah, reach out. I'm sure there's a way to get involved wherever you are. We'd love to have you. Absolutely. So uh, once again, thank you so much, Jenny, for for sharing your story, for the service that you provided for your community and for your state and for your country. And I, I really hope that that uh, we we do more to to live out the the purpose. Uh, I should say our calling uh, to public service. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. I really enjoy it. Appreciate your your efforts. Well, I appreciate all of you for taking this time to listen to our interview and conversation with Miss Jenny Taylor. Uh, Major Taylor's story is really incredibly inspirational and really just brings about so much more meaning out of our Memorial Day and the role it has in our nation's history. Have a great rest of your day and rest of your week, and I will see you next time with the next episode of Friends and Fellow Citizens. As always, a day in America is always better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens.